Hey guys, much like last time, let's start with a disclaimer. Uh, this is a genre with a lot of problematic issues. We talk about them. The views represented don't necessarily reflect the views of our employers, all that good stuff. And as I said last time, Dave and I are super washed, so this show has much of super washed references. So enjoy part two. This is 50. We drop bows on them. Drop bows on them. When we. Uh, we drop bows on them. Drop bows on them. When we. Welcome back to Underemployed, episode 79, part 2 of our top 50 moments in hip-hop countdown. First part, raging success. Second part, only going to get better. Nowhere to go but up. Exactly. Uh, you know what? Or technically down. Uh, if you didn't listen to the first one, I don't know why you're listening to the second part. Shame. And shame. go download the first one three times shame. to make up for the fact that you didn't listen to it. Shame. We will shame you until you do. Uh, shame. Until then, David, why don't we just get started? People know the rules. Absolutely. All right. Ain't nothing to it but to do it. Number 24, uh, R. Kelly, hip-hop adjacent. Now, R. Kelly has had arguably some controversial moments in his career. Really? Yeah, some could argue. Uh, you know, trapped in the closet, may have been a little weird, stuff like that. I think that's about as far as it got. Certainly. Um, but, so 2004, Jay-Z and R. Kelly released their second collaboration album, uh, back for, uh, Best of Both Worlds. No, that was the first one. I don't care. The, the, the first one wasn't very good. I assume the second one was even worse. I didn't listen to it. The second one was called Unfinished Business, and yes, according to most people, it sucked. But they went on tour together. R. Kelly had got out of that whole controversy over what he allegedly did on a tape to an alleged 15-year-old girl. Um, so, they decide it's good to tour. Except R. Kelly, and this will surprise no one, was uh, a malcontent. A, a disaffected one, maybe? It's one, way to, it's one way to describe them. So, several shows either get postponed, canceled, R. Kelly leaves early, Jay-Z, not a fan of all this. So, they're at a show in Madison Square Garden in 2004. R. Kelly, on stage, thinks he sees people with guns inside Madison Square Garden. Garden. You know, the notorious uh, gun, gun loose people just toting uh, New York City, of course. I mean, yes, but like, yeah. you got to get into the building. Yeah, right. And in one of the most, unless, you're, unless you're coming through VIP, you're likely going right. to get, you're likely going through a magnetometer. It, and like, sure, I know that Glocks are mostly made of plastic, but the barrels are still made of metal. And uh, it just, it mostly, we're probably calling BS on that, which is what everyone else did. But R. Kelly goes off stage, they do a check, no one has guns. Uh, but I think Jay Z and his crew have had enough of this. So. R. Kelly then says, okay, I'm going to go back on stage and I'm going to perform. And Jay-Z's crew said, no thanks. So Tata, who one of Jay's associates who's been referenced a bunch in his songs, decided that the best way to address this was to mace R. Kelly right in the face. In a closed environment? Yes. Great. Uh, yes. Smart, smart idea to release a, a, a now, stinging gas. I will say, jumping ahead, he did get a he did get some uh, I think anger management community service for it. He was facing some years in prison for it. Um, I'm sure the judge I mean, looked and said, "Yeah, but it's R. Kelly, so okay." It's assault with a. I mean, it's assault. With, it's not a deadly weapon, but like not a not not a. You could blind someone permanently. Yeah, I know. Which really would have been a shame with R. Kelly of all people, you know, <laughs> upholding yeah, our standards. So. 
Jay then goes on stage and performs the show, and he also continues after that to mock R. Kelly. Everybody, you okay? You safe? There's no guns in the building. Which, again, if this were another artist, if this were another situation, we might go, this was too far. Especially given the fact that we just talked about Jay-Z stabbing somebody over a leaked record. But it's R. Kelly. So it ends up being really, 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 really funny. And I don't know about you, David, kind of satisfying. Makes niggas at Madison Square Garden, 20 million sold, and we still catching charges. You're, you're mixed yeah. because it's, it's, a, it's pepper spray in a closed environment, which I agree with. Is, is Yeah, you're putting, you're putting other people at risk there. Like, had they tased him? I would have been like, all right, yeah. whatever. Uh, Nothing of value was lost yeah, today. That's true. Now, what if I told you R. Kelly was the only one impacted by the pepper spray, which I believe to be true? Then I feel, I, I feel, I feel better about it. Good. I agree. You know, risky, yes. Uh, should it have been done? No. Am I that upset about it, given the, given the uh, victim in this case? Not particularly. Not particularly. So we salute Jay-Z's crew for doing what, frankly, probably should have been done two years earlier. I'm not for say, it's just say, homie, you got piss aid. Take it like a man to flow, ran you off the stiss aid. Wasting your time trying to sue and stop. Tell your lawyer, take that civil case and drop it like it's hard. Number 23, an underemployed classic, David. You take it away. The time Bethany and I saw Vanilla Ice. Yes. In Maine. Yes. For We're, all of, like, two songs. Yes. So... We've explained it on the show in great detail, but David, I would love if you retold the story. Um, Bethany and I were seeing my parents in Portland, mm -hmm. and uh, at the wharf next to the ferry terminal, they used to have concerts. Mm -hmm. uh, they might still in the future, but they haven't recently. Yeah. At the time, they were doing shows, uh, and this was a 90s throwback tour featuring Vanilla Ice, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff... And I forget who the other group on the tour was, but era disregardless, unimportant. Uh, what matters is we got to see Vanilla Ice perform Go Ninja from a boat. And and started, his set started with the immortal line. Do you remember what the, what the line was? You know, I don't remember. It was, are y'all ready for motherfucking Vanilla Ice? And... and I lost it. I absolutely lost my mind. My dad lost his mind. My mom had no idea what was going on. Has anyone ever really been ready for Vanilla Ice? No. Arguably no. And as you pointed out, there was controversy over the profanity used in the set, right? Yeah, there was. There was a there was a bit of bit of a bit of a to do. Uh, reminded me of the time that you know we got in trouble at UMW for having Wale perform at Homecoming. Yes. While they notoriously really amongst the worst rappers profanity-wise, yeah. Number 22. Let's be honest, rap is, as has been described by others, it's sort of a Santa Claus sort of myth. It's theater. It is. Is it based in reality in a lot of ways? Yes. But is all of it real? No. However, there are certain lines that... Maybe the most egregious of them. Perhaps. Rick Ross, who... Took his name from Freeway Ricky Ross, one of the most notorious drug dealers, I think, in the entire Southeast. Yeah. Um, yeah, Freeway Ricky Ross, yeah. So, A, that's not the moment, but he did get in trouble for that. Uh, Freeway Ricky Ross, not a fan that he took his name, but that's besides the point. Um, Rick Ross, it turns out, it was revealed around, I want to say, late 08, early 09, was actually a corrections officer. Again, 
it's, we understand that rappers are playing characters. However, it's that Rick, this was an egregious example of what Rick Ross said he was and did versus what he actually was for a period in his life. Yeah, about knowing the real Noriega, about mm -hmm. knowing Pablo Escobar. Mm -hmm. I am, to my knowledge, neither of them was uh, ever locked up in a U.S. jail. No. So how would Rick Ross actually know that? Yes. And also, uh, the moment that really puts it up on this list for me is that Rick Ross kept denying it, and I still think kind of keeps denying it, and then kind even of cops to it in his biography. Even though of, there's pictures of him? Yes. It's sort of actually like how I mentioned that Jay still wishy-washy around stabbing on Rivera, even though he admitted to it in court years earlier. If Rick Ross had just admitted to it and said, look, I'm a you know, I'm playing a character, blah, 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 I needed some money at the time, okay. But Rick Ross sort of trying to deny it and go even harder in the paint brings us to this list. And let's be real, no one no one goes harder in the paint than Waka. No, we've learned that from Waka, yes, uh, at the grocery party. Number 21, there are so many Chris rap Christmas Classics. You hear them every year during the Undie Award intros. Mm -hmm. So many examples, including the aforementioned Curtis Blow. But there's one song that's come out within the last decade. It's a cover of a classic that David, dare I say, tops them all. It's better than the original. Hot take, but you know what? I don't disagree. It's DMX singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Come on! Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw him You would even say it close Come on! Come on! If someone came to you and said I want to hear DMX do Rudolph you'd laugh and say that's a great idea But it worked. It worked it so well. Cool. Was it who sung the original? Uh, Earl, uh, I forget his. Who gives a shit? Yeah, that's true. I guess it wasn't DMX. <laughs> Bunch of bitches. Yeah, some old, some old crusty guy who wasn't DMX. Exactly. DMX poured his heart and soul into that version of Rudolph, and it was it added to the mystique that was DMX of what a bizarre human being he is. And the reason why I know DMX has one of the greatest reputations of all time. We're still not close to being done with DMX on this list, and we've only got about twenty something left. Yeah. So DMX. Thank you for adding a little bit of Christ back in Christmas, dare I say. The blood of Christ. Yes. Well, that's good foreshadowing. Number 20. Again, like Takashi 69, it's just sort of a loose concept. It is the big timers. Any specific song? No. Any specific moment? No. Any specific album? No. But they embody everything that Underemployed loves about hip-hop. They are absurdly over the top. I bet the piss out of bitch quick. Oh, yeah. Not appropriate in any way. Got your pizza sucking dicks in a big black Chevy. It's your name, that's a shame, I forgot already. They're, they, they, they take homie love to the next level with what Manny and Baby talk about doing with each other, um, which even Dave and I, as close as we are, wouldn't even consider. Fresh, wait, hold up. That's that bitch, we fuck. But if you get Manny Fresh to produce your songs and you get Manny Fresh to rap, I'm on board. Is Baby a good rapper? No, he's, we've discussed before. He's awful. Terrible. Terrible. But you still catch me bumping some big timers to this day. If, if uh, Still Fly comes on in the club right now, in the car right now, I guarantee you're happy. I don't care who you are listening. Right, David? If you, if you listen to it. Real big. Yeah, real big. Everything real big when you listen to Manny Fresh. Number 19. This is the 
This is the steroided version of what we talked about earlier with uh, Clips doing a song with Justin Timberlake. The year's 2003, and Britney Spears is coming out with whatever album had that song where she kissed Madonna at the VMAs. I don't, I don't know Britney Spears' art of work that Oeuvre. well. Oeuvre that well. The album was in the zone, and yes, I think the moment where Madonna and Britney Spears made out deserves its own special place and shout out on this countdown, even though it has nothing to do with rap. However, uh, one song that made the li- album was a collaboration that Britney Spears did with uh, what iconic hip-hop group, David? The the Yin Yang Twins. Why does this song exist? I couldn't tell. Is the song is the song good? I barely listened to it. Probably not. It's not. Is Let's it be good? real. The Yin Yang Twins needed a very specific lane to work yes. in, and has been discussed many times on the show. When the very first episode of the show, I did not know they weren't related until David told me on the first episode they weren't related. Yep. Felt again like hearing Santa Claus didn't exist. I mean, look, there's the there's colloquialisms within. You're right. Within within. You're right. Within those communities that we are not privy to. You're right. They're they're, they're brothers in a, in a spiritual sense. You're right. So I got as that. as Zoolander pointed out. And when I say brother, I don't mean like an actual brother, but I mean it like the way black people use it, which is more meaningful, I think. So I got that boom boom with Britney Spears and the <laughs> twins, which is already a really. St- <laughs> I forgot that was the name of the song. I got that boom boom. <laughs> yeah. Number 18 is personal. It's one that David... I mean, you had unfortunately, I think, left. But you and Bethany had to leave by this time. But my sister, of course, got married in November 2019. And what a, what a song list that, that wedding included. Specifically, Raise Up by P.D. Pablo, which has some significance to Ellen and like a bunch of her college friends. And Snoop Dogg, What's My Name, Part 2, which was briefly played by the DJ. Unfortunately, David had left by this time, but I texted him. I think I texted him immediately saying, David, this happened, and I'm so happy. You did. Listen, there aren't a lot of white gay weddings, I'm just going to say it, where you expect Petey Pablo and Snoop Dogg, like, like... Album cuts. Out, yeah, I mean, technically a single, but not a big single. You don't yeah. expect those to be played at those weddings. Yeah. And to hear that was so great on what was already one of my favorite days ever. So Ellen, thank you for the DJ and uh, getting, I was outside, I remember when the Snoop Dogg song came up and my ears perked up like a dog's. I was like, oh my God, I ran back in. So thank you, Ellen. Number 17, DMX, once again, we mentioned Party Up. Now the second single from that same album and then there was X was a classic little ditty with Cisco called What These Bitches Want or What They Really Want is the radio version. The reason why this song makes the list is because the second verse that DMX has is quite literally just him naming ladies that he's boinked. That's it. It rhymes, but it's just... I mean, he ends the verse with, you know, bars. David, if you will, just read... This is the second verse. There's no profanity, so you don't have to worry. But read the names of the second verse. Brenda, Letitia, Linda, Felicia... Dawn, LaShawn, Inez, Alicia, Teresa, Monica, Sharon, Nikki, Lisa, Veronica, Karen, Vicky, Cookie. Well, I met her in an ice cream parlor. Tanya, Diane, Lori, and Carla, Marina, Selena, Katrina, Sabrina, about three Kims, 
LaToya, and Tina, Shelly, Bridget, Kathy, Rashida, Kelly, Nicole, Angel, Juanita, Stacy, Tracy, Rona, and Rhonda, Donna, Yolanda, Tawana, and Wanda. This was a single. This was on the radio. This had a music video on MTV. With them rolling down the street on, I believe, a Lamborghini. Yes. I think actually you're right if, if remembering that video. So... I believe it was an event. Was it an event? No, think about that verse player. also. He's remembering all these names, but he's like, I think there were three Kims. I can't quite remember. He can remember everyone else, and then he remembers that he met Cookie in an ice cream parlor. If you if you tried to make DMX today, people would laugh you out of the building. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't than, work. It, other does, than, it doesn't work in the modern Other era. than the 90s were just kind of weird, which again, we'll get to more later. But that verse... Well, so, much of, so much of the music... That was po- that profligated in the '90s was angry. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially and, late '90s. Well, uh, you know, it started earlier, right? Yeah, it, it definitely started earlier because I mean, you got to think that like Nirvana, Nirvana, Ugly Kid Joe, the grunge movement in general. Yeah. But then you also have uh, Green Day was kind of angry. Hmm? Really? Green Day kind of angry. Green, I mean, Green Day's a punk band, so yeah, yeah there, there's some That's anger like, yeah. there. Um, Rage Against the Machine, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Pearl Jam. Uh, Alanis Morissette was big at that era. So was Cheryl Crow, who, like, while having some poppy sound to her, there was some anger there. Even country music had uh, had, had a good bit of anger there. I mean, this was back in the era when, you know, they were writing songs about, you know, some of the most popular country songs on the radio were, uh, was it Let Freedom Ring and Earl Had to Die? Yeah. Both of which are about killing an abusive husband. Someone pointed out, too, that the 90s was weird in that there wasn't a consistent sound. Like, like the most popular song one year could be a completely different genre than yes. the most popular song the next year, which yeah, I think is like, unique, too. Like, as you said, normally things go in, in waves. Well, it was, it was, the 90s was really the last decade, and maybe even, maybe even the 2000s, you could make the argument, but I would, I would definitely say that the 90s was really the last decade without the homogenization of culture. Yeah. I would say there were early 2000s, yes. By the late 2000s, it had Well, but still, to, the aughts. Yeah, aughts, yeah. By, by the end of the aughts, you had the, the sort of the homogenization of, of culture. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, the internet was still pretty nascent, and radio was still fairly cordoned off. I mean, college radio was still a thing. College rock was still a thing. You know, yeah. like, your, your, your Dave Matthews, your REMs, your bands like that, that didn't really get a whole lot of mainstream play initially, but were huge with college kids yeah. and you know created this this ecosystem where they were able to survive. Um, now, where the anger comes from, I don't entirely know. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it is you, know, you look at the age the age range of, of a good chunk of these artists, and it's you know people who grew up in an era with um, I don't want to say boomer parents, but not boomer parents. I mean, yeah, it's 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 the like very it's it's the it's the people who were like the la- the late silent generation or greatest generation folks and early boomers. Yeah. Well, and when you put into that context, DMX does make sense how he took the world by storm in '98. Yeah. yeah. And it also makes sense. No, of why uh, so- earlier because didn't he play? No, he. I mean, he, he, he didn't play. That's right. He, he wasn't at Woodstock '96. No, he's at Woodstock '99. '99. That's yes. The one. Which yeah. also that if that were just a list of overall great bizarre music moments, that would probably make the top fifty. Well, uh, that's Limp Bizkit. There is there is. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that are at work there. Hold on. Let's let's put a pause in that. 
Yeah. Let's just we could we're gonna save that for another bracket another we time. Could do, we could do a whole episode about <laughs> just about Fre- Woodstock '99. All I'll say is Fred Durst playing break stuff and then being really scared when people started breaking stuff is funny. It's just not the result wasn't funny. The Fred Durst part of it was funny. Yes. Uh, number sixteen, David. This is I think something I put on this list with you in mind, and I want you to take it away because it's meant the world to you when you first heard it. <laughs> the. The Lonely Islands, I'm on a boat, mm-hmm. referencing Poseidon. Never thought I'd be on a boat. It's a big blue watery road. Yeah, Poseidon, look at me. I guess we need a little bit of backstory to this and your love of Poseidon. Not really. Poseidon's just better. Jack and I have had the running joke about if we ever win an award at an award show, the first person we're going to thank is Poseidon yes. because... As I pointed out, we have all of these rappers and other musicians specifically thanking God while they make music that is antithetical to yeah. any sort of Christian faith. So I think what it started to, I swear what it started was like, I think the 06 VMAs, they were doing Beavis and Butthead shorts. Yes. And one of them thanked Poseidon and we thought that was really weird and funny. Yeah. And so we just kept that running joke going for years. And so I remember first seeing I'm on a Boat when it aired live on SNL and I hung out with David Maybe the next day or the and next this weekend. This was when those SNL digital shorts were like the oh, well, yeah. some of the original viral videos. Yes. And David hadn't seen it yet. So I played I'm on a Boat knowing that this moment was waiting in the background. And David laughed his ass off when he saw it. Because it meant it was such a weird T-Pain referencing something niche to us. Yes. Um, that song, a classic, The Lonely Island, great contributors to hip-hop culture. Let's just all agree with that. Great it. contributors to pop music. Yes. Just in general. Unironically, great music. That's what makes their songs good is because it's good music. It's also, but they're just funny. It's silly. The joke isn't, oh, the songs suck. It's no, we're just being weird and funny. These sound like, these sound like pop songs you would hear on the radio. Yeah. They just happen to be about about things like. Like premature ejaculation. Or, you know, Michael Bolton singing about (laughs) Jack Sparrow. The re-intro to the second verse of Jack Sparrow is one of the hardest I've ever laughed in a Lovely Island song. Number 15 means a lot to me. Uh, David less so. Uh, I think that's a fair statement. But John Cena in late 2002 becoming the Doctor of Thugonomics. Now again, hip-hop was still accepted in the culture, but we needed a little oomph to get it really accepted in the mainstream. It's arguable that it was accepted. It was still seen as a novelty. I think it was still yeah. seen as a novelty. I'd say more than a novelty, but like not accepted by people. Like now adults. Like sure. Older adults love, you know sure. what I mean? Because I mean, at that point, you were you had... You had uh, top 40 stations explicitly being like, we play everything but rap. Yeah. What was the one in DC that did that? 107 something? No. I don't remember. Either way, we thought it was stupid. I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was explicitly racist. Yeah. (laughs) Even if it's not, it's more just like, okay, you can still, you don't have to play hardcore rap on your station. Yeah, like no one's asking, no one's asking you to play Grave Diggers. Yeah. That would be funny though. Uh, to, to play Riz's not Wu Tang group. Yeah. Um, but or to, no one's asking you to do Killer Bees. But John, well, I, no one should do that. But John Cena coming out in throwback jerseys and freestyling every week on Fools. I would vehemently disagree with you on that. Sometimes David and I agree. Sometimes we disagree. I will vehemently go to my grave disagreeing with you on that. You need to hit them sit ups too. You're not exactly the leanest. Forget seeing me, bro. You can't see your own penis. But the point is John Cena brought hip-hop culture into a a field of professional wrestling that sorely lacked it. Didn't have it. And here's John Cena bringing people together, uniting people as one. I will, look, 
I don't I don't feel about his album the same way Jack does, but I will say it is undeniable how hype the time is now gets. Yes, people. it is truly undeniable. You, it's a fantastic beat. It's undeniable. So. Thank you, John Cena. Your album didn't make this list out of, you know, I figured one John Cena moment was good. But overall, your contributions to hip-hop should not go unnoticed. Number 14 in the same vein. Uh, we, of course, remember Shaquille O'Neal for being one of the best athlete rappers of all time. Certainly. Low bar, it's a, it's but a pretty, it's a, Well, it's, at his height, he could probably step over also, the bar no matter how high it was. Also very true. Good point. So, Shaq decided to star in... I don't think it's too far to say a cinematic classic. Truly awful movie. Well, agree to disagree. I have actually, I've actually not the seen worst it. movie he made though. Which what was the worst? Steel? Steel. Yeah, Steel had a decent song on the soundtrack, and other than that, was I think pretty terrible. Which but is such a shame because like Steel's Steel's the Steel continues the long running trend, maybe even started the trend of DC movies being dog shit. Yes. And it's a shame that Shaq had to be a member of all that going down. Yeah. But Kazam in 1996 took the world by storm because Shaq played a rapping genie. Do I remember the rap off the top of my head? I don't. I do remember that one of the lines that made it. This green egg is heaven. What does that mean? Who knows? He's a genie. But if you had told me, if you had told me in 1993, and I was as old as I was now that Shaq was going to play a rapping genie, I told you I'll be there opening night. And that movie meant a lot. And that, and that character meant a lot. Kazam has stood the test of time. Name other movies that have the lasting legacy does. Godfather 2? No one can tell you any plot point of Godfather 2. But Kazam the Rapping Genie? You can remember that Shaq made it rain literal food from the sky at one point. Leon the Professional? Yeah. Sure. That's the... But Shaq... American Graffiti? Sh Shaq... Uh, uh, Seven Samurai? I thought, you, I thought you said American History X for a second. I was like, I guess that's memorable for another reason, but okay. Um, still, Shaq made Kazam... A character like a Master Chief or a Mario. Characters you remember forever. Characters who dig deep into your soul. David, what was your favorite memory of Kazam? Uh, the ending credits. Alright, we're moving on. That was disrespectful. Number 13. A great suggestion by one David Hart. In a genre filled with tattoos, unique art, unique print. There's some one, pretty bad ones. Also some pretty bad ones. There is one piece of tattoo work that stands above everyone. Head and shoulders, dare I say, above everybody else. At the very least on a face. David? What is it? Uh, it is Gucci Mane's ice cream tattoo. Three scoops on his face. On his face. And it looked pretty, it looked like one of those like deeply carved into his face tattoos. It wasn't like a light little ink job. Well, here's the thing. When you have as dark a complexion as Gucci does, you gotta do a lot of color work to make these things pop. Yeah, that's true. And uh, so Gucci's tattoo to this day is probably the most identifiable part of Gucci. At I mean, least at least physically. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say he's had a yeah, he's had an interesting career. He's gone to jail, got out, got buff. Very buff. Um, am I the biggest Gucci fan in the world? No. My my excitement on Gucci's solo career begins with I think I loved her and ends with the end of his first verse on I think I love her. I don't really care for Gucci, but uh, you know You know what? Shine block. I, I was I was a Gucci I was a Gucci fan the Gucci Gucci fan the first time I heard Lemonade. Lemonade is a pretty good song. Lemonade is great. Uh most recently, uh, somebody made up on Twitter a fake freestyle cover for him that was a riff on Oppenheimer called Wappenheimer. And like I did see that, yes. Three days later, Gucci dropped a track with that artwork. That's right. And Shine, and Shine Block is the big boy. That, that hook is beautiful. So, uh, you know, Gucci, maybe not my favorite artist, but has probably maybe my favorite rap tattoo of all time. 
because it's just the Burr Man had uh, just got some ice cream on his face. Can't get any better than that. Yeah, I mean, definitely better than, than most of the other face tattoos in rap. Also true. I think Mike Tyson might have the only, like, ended up, I mean, it was a bad tattoo and became a great tattoo, his face tattoo. I don't think it ever became a great tattoo. I think we're all just too scared of Mike Tyson to say otherwise. Good point. <laughs> Number, because let's keep it a buck. The man's in his 50s and could still fuck most people. Oh, yeah, no, if you've seen the videos of him practicing, it's... His hands are still lightning quick. Mm. Number 12, speaking of, partly speaking of memorable tattoos, we mentioned earlier the lap dance video, and we mentioned earlier the tip drill video. Those walked so this could run. It's one of our favorite songs, memes, videos, moments of all time. It is Cardi B, is Megan Thee Stallion, with the WAP video. It came out at a time, it came out pretty much peak pandemic. I was gonna say, like April or May. Yeah, like late, like summer 20, yeah, where we were right. all just hating life. Starving for anything. And starving for entertainment. Pop culture. The world was miserable. Yes. And these two lovely ladies came out with a video and a song that, you know, David- It caught a charge. Beat it up, nigga, catch a charge. David mentions, he's right, the fragmentation of culture, just with how everything is now. Well, homogenization of culture. You're right. That, this song united everybody. Everyone was aware of WAP. Uh, it led to an all-time great moment where I had to text a certain anchor at a station when they asked, what does WAP stand for? And I said, I'll text you. I won't say this over any uh, channels, but uh, yes. So, WAP led to memes. It led to the great reactions, as we talked about with Ben Shapiro. It Wet-ass P-word. Yes. Wet-ass P-word. That's what WAP stands for. A thing he still catches slack to for this... Uh, catches flack for to this day. I won't say names, but someone I was talking to mentioned that specifically a couple weeks ago, and we both had a good laugh at it. And he deserves to get roasted for the rest of his days. He should. Whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. Number 11. Uh, when you think of great child reveals that your friends do, you might think of, uh, well have some crazy party or we'll have a balloon, you know, we'll have, we'll show photos to loved ones. Hopefully you won't start a forest fire or yes. crash a plane. Yeah, if you're gonna have a child reveal or a gender reveal, maybe chill a little bit on it, but you know, do you. But the best one in hip hop history is not even close. And it's a small segment of an over, overall grade A beef, David. I see, I don't even know if, well, I guess it is a grade A beef because Drake is, for all the, credit I don't want to give him. He is a good rapper. Yeah. He's just not a good... He's not He's not for you. He's not a beef rapper. We discussed this ad nauseum. I, I just... I'm sorry. I refuse to think that any guy who gets a... Uh, a heart shaped into his head is any sort of tough guy. No, I, Drake, again, as we put it, as we said earlier, Drake is putting on an act. But Drake also kind of leans into Drake, putting in an act Drake now. is fucking ten-ply. Right. But it's also kind of funny that he now embraces... Anyway, I'm a Drake fan. David's not. But we both know that uh as we discussed when it happened that this beef between him and Pusha T was needed because we haven't had a good beef in a oh, while. Oh, there had not there had not been a good rat beef that didn't end up with somebody dead. Yeah. And this also was hilarious and took some serious shots because again, Pusha had been we can go into this backstory. We've talked about underemployed. Long story short, Pusha and and Pharrell had some beef with Baby over unpaid royalties. Pusha tech shots over at Cash Money over the years. Drake came back with a diss in 2018, which I thought was pretty good. 
And I think Drake was like, all right, this is pretty good. And then Pusha comes back with a haymaker of, I, what was the song? It was over the um, story of OJ beat by Jay-Z, but I'm, I'm blanking uh, on the story of OJ. That's what it is. And reveals in the song. I don't, even, I don't even think a haymaker is the yeah. right way to That's, phrase this. Yeah. This is like, a, this is like a, 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 a suplex. This is like yeah. a power bomb. This is into the third row. This is yeah. This is a finishing move where Drake bounces out of the ring. Yes. This is a, what's the iconic line? You are hiding a child. Let that boy come home. That is a line that shocked all of us because we were like, oh, we didn't know Drake had a kid. And apparently Drake was sort of tepid about revealing that he had a kid with uh, with a model. He was he was boinking and I think it was a porn star. I think it was soft. I think we're in the middle. Softcore porn star. Softcore, something, yeah, something, something, something like that. But we respect all porn stars. But yeah. the um, honest work. The the fact that Pusher came out what was looked at as a, a solid disc and then came back with that. Yeah. And revealed that yeah. you are hiding a Pusher went nuclear option. Yes. yes. Yeah. And Drake had to. Drake said later he's like. I took an L on that one. He admitted it. I, yeah, there were people, I remember, you know, the day after it dropped, there were people on the internet trying to be like, nah, nah, Drake did, like, push it didn't do much, push it didn't do much. And, the, you know, these were these were the, the OVO stands. Yes. And those of us who live in reality were yeah. like, Drake can't come back from this. There is yeah. nothing he can say or yeah. do that is right. going to be on any level. That's why I actually respect that Drake was smart. He said, all right, you know what? I'm gonna continue down this path. I will take this L. This L will hang forever, but it's gonna get worse if I fight it. I'm just gonna move on. Because he lost. Pushes, pushes, pushes. I don't think it even fully, fully emptied the clip on him. Yeah. I think Pusher could have, could and would have continued. This is, it's, this is on the list, and it's almost in the same vein. It's not quite as lopsided or whatever, but the fact that MGK was beefing with Eminem, and. That is arguably to be the most lopsided beef because, in rap history. Because MGK had to switch genres. Yeah, he got bodied so badly yeah. he had to switch genres. Yeah. And then... And, and you and I both at the time were like, the Eminem diss was good. I didn't think... I, I've heard better diss from Eminem. Yeah. It was fine. Yeah. It wasn't even M's best diss track. No. And I thought MGK actually... I thought his was decent. But it was just so lopsided in the result that MGK said, all right, I got to switch fully pop punk. I can't go and rap yeah. anymore. And then people and then people had the audacity to be out here saying MGK saved pop punk. Excuse Ooh. you, Haley Williams takes offense. I also don't, yeah. I also don't care for MGK's pop punk. Uh, it's not, fine. Yeah. It's, like, it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's just funny how we got there. It's not great. It's not bad. It's, like, it's fine. Okay. It's it, look. It made the it made the 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 remastered Tony Hawk one and two soundtrack, True. which I disagree with. But yeah, also because the OG Tony one one and two soundtracks just stand up on their own, which that's a whole other discussion for a whole other day. But a plus all around. Tony Hawk introduced a, a new generation of people to ska. Yeah, yeah. Goldfinger still to this day. It's a great Super, song. Superman still hits. Uh, not my favorite. Not my favorite Goldfinger song. That's another. That's our discussion for our pop pop for our ska episode for our f- fifty favorite ska songs. Yep. That will be episode two hundred and seventy five. Uh, all right. Back episode to the never. I don't yeah, think I could name fifty ska say, songs. That I was gonna I say like. not to be over dramatic, but I'll probably kill myself. We I went to. I went to. I went through a ska phase, and even I don't want to do do that countdown. You know what? There's a great Brooklyn Nine Nine reference that I'll put in the show for that. Oh, I know. Yeah. Ska defines who I am as a person, and I will never turn my back on ska. Looking back, I have no regrets. You should. Yeah. Number 10, we finally reached the top 10. Actually, you know what? Before we hit the top 10, let's take a pause and think of some moments that didn't quite make the list. We were talking before 
we mentioned at the start of the last episode, there were probably going to be a couple that we realized we forgot and should have made the list. Two of which that we forgot and should have made this list were Suge Knight hanging vanilla ice over a balcony floor to get royalty checks. Yes. I mean, if there's any encapsulation of who Suge Knight was as a person, it's that story. And Suge Knight for a time was probably the most famous, the f- most famous gang member in the country. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, he was a dangerous, dangerous man. And the other moment that should have made the list, we alluded to in the last episode, was the seventh floor crew. We just we fucked up. That should have made this list. That's on us. In our hearts, it's easily a top thirty moment. It's here. Here's part of why I think we forget about it because Miami football is irrelevant. I will say it has been for the better part of. Decade and a half now. Yep, they should have Jim Laranega coach the football team too. What's funny about Hard that for them to be worse. What's funny about that moment is you knew about it. PJ and I did not know about the seventh floor crew somehow until they did the thirty for thirty on Miami about five years ago. Somehow yeah. we never knew about that. I don't know how that missed us because that's an early two thousands like weird meme moment, but it just missed. But seventh floor crew has lived on. It was the first outro music we ever had on this show. It will live forever. So unfortunately, we missed it. Couple, couple other moments. Uh, if you've ever seen Tropic Thunder, Al Pacino introducing the world to Busta Nut Bars and uh, Booty Sweat Drink. Mm-hmm. Those were classic and helped uh, give money into much-needed communities. So I appreciate Al Pacino mm-hmm. doing that. Uh, Juvenile's Tiny Desk Concert from a couple months ago. We talked about it on the show. Great. It was a great, it was a great, great show. As you said, hearing Project Bitch in a Tiny Desk Concert <laughs> is and was and will always be hilarious. Hearing Project Bitch played in an office space... <laughs> That I, I can tell you firsthand is populated with a lot mm. of uh, private liberal arts degrees yeah. and um, <laughs> folks who folks who are, are you know vehemently concerned about transit equity. Yeah, and yet everyone was geeking out over it because they love those songs. Give me a project, bitch. Give me a hood rat trick. One that's that's the allure of Manny Fresh, and that's how good he is. Um, David mentioned Baby Kissing Wayne, which went viral in the mid two thousands. It's not because of the home; it's because of how funny it is that Baby did it specifically. Because yes. Baby's just a weird, weird, weird guy. Yes, and it led to Baby being weird about it. Less weird than Tom Brady's. I mean, yes. here's the thing: I think a parent kissing their child, whatever. That's. Yeah. I would, I, just, I would not do it, but yeah. Okay. I just, I think that putting it on the internet as content is the weird part for me. Yes, I what agree. What Tom Brady chooses to do with his children, within reason, is yeah. none of my fucking business. Yes. Uh, the song Ain't No Fun from Doggy Style, which if you've never listened to, be careful when you listen to it. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm coincidentally wearing it because i got to go work out after this. But uh, uh, yes, it is a song that... Uh, my, when we talked about misogyny earlier, there is no single more misogynistic song in the history of music than Ain't No Fun if the homies can't have none. I, I, I implore you to find a more misogynist. Well, actually, the big timers might have some disagreement with that, but that's beyond the point. And yet, I mean, just future. Yes. Future in general not has no love for the hoes, according to future. Future, yeah. future introduce, introducing the, uh, the, the phrase for the streets. Yes. Let's get back to the countdown. Number 10. We reference it very recently in the show. And we reference it, we, we reference it often. Because it's so funny. Um, and Floyd Mayweather did sort of rap for a little bit. Was he a good rapper? No, but he came out to WrestleMania 24 in a song he rapped. So, you know, this counts. But it's, of course, when 50 Cent offered Floyd Mayweather hundreds of thousands of dollars to read a page of a Harry Potter book. Usually to be good at rapping, you need to at least be literate. Yes, which is ironic because Floyd is famously 
functionally illiterate. Allegedly. Yes. We have no concrete evidence of such. But we have seen tapes of him very much struggling to read yes. at, uh, the, from the Breakfast Club. So 50, of course, you know what? We went over this recently very quickly. 50 offered for the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Mm -hmm. He said, If you can read one full page of a Harry Potter book, nigga, I'll give 750000 to whatever charitable organization you want to. Floyd did not respond, so 50 up to two. A phone call from my man Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy said if Floyd accepts the challenge, that he'll put it on the actual show. So you can read it on the show. We don't want to put pressure on you. We know you can't pronounce those words in that Harry Potter book, so we're going to let you read Cat in the Hat. That is as funny as it gets. That is, it's funny that, as we said a couple episodes ago. Still funny. Still really funny. Because Floyd could afford a tutor. Because Floyd is still a gigantic piece of shit. Yeah, he's also a piece of shit. So, it, you know, it was funny then, it's funny now. Number nine, a moment that will certainly live in DC lore forever. It is October of 2005. Cameron, a rapper David and I don't particularly care for, but... Part of a, part of a rap group we don't particularly care for. Yeah, exactly. Care I was going to say, I, I really never cared for the Diplomats. But, you know... Uh, or Dipset in general. Dipset in general, yeah. They're, look, they're fine. Yeah. They're, they're, I'm never going to seek out a Dipset song. Dips, dipset, is, dipset works for a certain... Mood. A certain mood and a certain place. Yeah. New York. Um, it is as New York as New York gets. However, this Cameron story takes place in our nation's capital, where in October of 2005, Cameron was the victim of a failed carjacking. He was then shot in both arms after a Howard Homecoming party, which, you know, of if you know DC, of course it was. Howard Homecoming is... I've heard pretty... Pretty... I have seen I have seen tale or I, I have seen the aftermath of some Howard Homecoming parties. Yeah. And I've heard tale from people who've been inside. And oh boy. Exactly. Oh boy. Now what makes this story great is not that Cam refused to give up his car and got shot. It's that Cameron, who was driving a royal blue Lamborghini and wearing two hundred thousand dollars worth of diamonds. Drove himself to the hospital. Do we remember? Do we know where specifically he was shot? Like what what neighborhood? Because if it was at a Howard Homecoming Party, I imagine it was in Northwest, specifically in the in, in well. The and Shaw he drove area. himself to Howard University Hospital. So he was so. probably in Shaw. Yeah. Which at what was this? What time? What year was this? Uh, October of 05. Oh, in October. Yeah, that part of that part of DC was that was sort of 05 was when the gentrification kind of started. Yeah. In Shaw. Um, Shaw was still pretty rough. Yeah, and what also makes this moment great is so Cameron drove himself to the hospital. He got released and held a press conference. I guess no, he spoke to reporters. It'd be funnier if he held a press conference. He spoke to reporters and said, I got shot three times and my album comes out November 22nd. It was a sloppy job on their part. They didn't get anything. I still got my car and my jewelry. There you go. That's as good as it gets. Yeah. It says, fuck you, I got my money. Literally got nothing from me. Other than I got a little bit of pub for my album that's coming out in yep. a month. Yeah. So Cameron, we salute you for driving yourself and for, again, a moment I'll live in D.C. forever. Uh, Wale did not make this list, but Wale, of course, is the best representation of D.C. hip-hop other than Suave. Go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> that, that also didn't quite make the list, but boy, that's just a moment Dave and I appreciate. Number of eight, the, the hype man of Public Enemy, one of the most important rap groups of all time they're in the rock and roll hall of fame yep cannot be overstated how important they were to the culture one of the one of the biggest characters in the in in the genre yeah probably ever and a a group that was certainly politically fine you know what i mean that their their whole thing was politically charged rap mm-hmm now, in the mid to late 2000s, Public Enemy, not quite what they were in their heyday. So, David, what does Flava Flav do to, uh, to get a little bit of a boost? Flava Flav 
was the object of affection for a dating shop called Flavor of Love. This this fit in with a spat of VH1 reality shows that were going on at mm-hmm. the time. VH1 was I think this is this this era certainly marked the beginning of the end for both MTV yeah. and VH1 where they transitioned away from really any semblance yeah. of I don't even want to say hard hitting, but like music focused. I was gonna say these songs were a lit like, oh, here's Flavor Flav or Brett Michaels. Yeah, but it's not really about the music. Celebrity Wake, Celebrity uh, Fit Club, Celebrity which Fit I also Club, love. I mean, uh, I, I Seventies House. Yeah. Um, what were the other? Uh, the Surreal Life. Like yeah. the you know the, 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 these were all these were all VH1 things, but like both VH1 and MTV were clearly dealing with the crisis of. Music videos aren't doing it anymore. Right. Music shows aren't yeah. aren't doing it anymore. We need to, for some reason, be the one-stop shop for all sort of young people's entertainment. Yeah. You know, and and MTV made I think uh, MTV I think made the conscious decision to focus on specifically white folks. Yeah. Uh, VH1. I don't even know what's on VH1 anymore. I don't. I mean, I don't want to say VH1 focused on white folks. VH1 was a little bit more of a catch-all because they had more hip-hop content that on, on you know on their on the, on their primary network, and a lot of MTV's stuff got relegated to either MTV2 yeah. or um, online-only content. Yeah, and you know, BET went through the same thing because yep. yeah, like you said, you know, music videos by mid everyone could go on YouTube if they wanted to see it, yep. so it was tough. So that's how we got this show where Flava Flav who. I'm gonna say it might be a hot take. Not the best looking guy I've ever seen. He's about four eight and uh, missing a bunch of teeth. He's taller than that. I know. It's slight Not much. Slight exaggeration. Um, but I mean, he looked at standing next to Brigitte Nielsen. Yes. What a what a beautiful couple that was. And I mean, they ended up getting their own spinoff show because that was who ended up winning. winning air uh, quotes winning the show. Yes. Uh, I remember Pumpkin spit on someone's face. What a great show that was. Was, uh, was it New York? Yeah, the New York. She, yeah, got, New her York, she got her own show. show. Uh, see, we remember it, though, because as much as we kind of want to shit on it. Yeah, there was a bunch of spinoffs. It kind of also worked. It did. Uh, so Flavor of Love, we, first of all, for finding our beloved friend Flavor Flav soulmates, we thank you. A bunch of them at one time, apparently, but we still anyway. thank you. Uh, you know, The Bachelor, you can take some lessons. That's how you get people like David and my, me to watch if you want. Mm, still not going to. I'll... Yeah, you're probably right. Number seven is also a moment referenced, I'm going to say... Consistently. Dozens of times on Underemployed. Yes. I'll, I'll give the context again. Because it's the late 90s, it's 1998. It is Christmas week. It is DMX, fresh off his first album, It's Dark and Hell's Hot, which did a lot of numbers, went number one. He's only gotten bigger. He now has a new album coming out called Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. David, what was the album cover for Flesh of My Flesh? Blood? It was... DMX covered in blood. Yes. I, I think it was sheep's blood. Something like that we found out I, later. But still, he's in a bathtub literally drenched in blood. Yep. With a white backdrop, too, to make it stand out more. Yep. There's no big single from that album. It's not like the first one where he had a couple. Yeah. The first line on the first real song of this album is, of course... I got blood on my hands and there's no remorse. I got blood on my dick because I fucked the car. That album... Sold 670,000 copies Christmas week, opening week, the number one album in the country, back when album sales on Christmas week would what? skyrocket. I mean, 
most artists these days are lucky to move that many of a single. Yes. Just because of how much the, everything's changed. DMX sold, that's a lot for 1998. Yeah. 670,000 copies of that album with that song. And the first line is about necrophilia. Yeah. There's nothing, I, actually to David's point earlier, nothing encapsulates where the music world was in 1998 more than that. There's nothing that, oh, it's like, oh, DMX sold almost 700,000 copies Christmas week of that album. That line has lived with me forever. I quote it to David frequently. We find reasons to reference it. This is the final moment that DMX is on this list, but he has given us so many great moments. It's a shame we lost him. I wouldn't say so soon because with DMX's lifestyle, he was kind of doomed to have an early exit, but we want to thank DMX for an all-time great line. She was a thug, cause when I met her, she had a scarf on. Number six, it's also a moment Dave and I both referenced. I don't know if this is a song that either of us have even listened to in full. I certainly haven't. Does it matter? No. No, because it's great. It's hilarious. bad. It is bad. the legendary, probably I would say infamous. Infamous. Actually, the perfect use of the word infamous song. It's Brad Paisley and LL Cool J, uh, that duo we've always waited for. It's the Nas and Damian Marley of the country rap genre. It is Accidental Racist, a song that made a lot of headlines for all the wrong reasons back in, I think, 2013. Now, uh, all I'm going to say for this song, it was not the best idea ever, and the execution was still f 10 times worse than the idea. The idea was a half-baked, like, oh, we should make a song showing that these genres or walks of life can go together, which at its core is like, okay, but then everything after that was a bad, bad Bad idea. Yep. Uh, the chorus at the end is sort of what really made it bad. All I'm going to read is this chorus where I'm going to read LL Cool J's ad-libs with Brad Paisley doing the chorus. I'm just going to read LL Cool J's ad-libs. If you don't judge my do-rag, I won't judge your red flag. If you don't judge my gold chains, I'll forget the iron chains. Can't rewrite history, baby. Boy. Uh, boy. Oh, brother. This guy boy, stinks. That, uh, yeah. All right. That, I think that, in, that encapsulates it, right? Yeah. That yeah. about does it. Number five. Let's get a little sillier. We mentioned Shaq earlier. This line has lived in underemployed history. It's lived between David and I from the moment it happened. It's lived on forever. It's been referenced forever. It's 2008. Kobe Bryant and the Los Angeles Lakers have just fallen to the Boston Celtics three games to two in the NBA Finals. Shaq is delighted at this. He and Kobe not... Always on best of terms. So Shaq, Especially at this point. Shaq goes to a nightclub, and this is one of the first instances of a caught on camera in a club moment. A viral video. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously not as bad as, say, the Michael Richards moment from two years earlier, but, you know, this went viral. Uh, and David, what happened during that freestyle that Shaq decided to do in a New York club? Uh, Shaq asked on more than one occasion, uh, Kobe, tell me how my ass tastes. Kobe, tell me how my ass tastes. Okay, Kobe, tell me how my ass tastes. I don't know where that line comes from. I don't know why that line's there. I just know that that line, Kobe, tell me how my ass tastes, it lived on forever. Yes. We still reference it. It's funny. It's kind of mean. It kind of doesn't make sense. It's kind of Shaq in a nutshell. It's really funny. Uh, Dave and I have often asked each other, tell me how my ass tastes. I don't know. All the time in the last 15 years? Pretty much. It's a beautiful moment. Number four is sort of a two-parter. Because the first part is the appetizer for the main course. 
the 2003 Oscars, where this is certainly a time when rap was still not really a big accepted part of the, for lack of a term, the Hollywood culture. The, yeah, yeah. It was still it was still seen as if not novelty, like it's not for us. A nuisance. Yes. So everyone was surprised when Eminem won the Oscar for Best Original Song in a Motion Picture with Lose Yourself. Including Eminem, because he didn't go to the ceremony. He thought, I'm not going to win. I'm going to go to bed early and hang out with my daughter. Yeah. That's a great one. But it's a warm-up. It's a warm-up. To either the 06 or 07 Oscars. I think the 07 ceremony. I think. Yeah, it's the 07 ceremony, I believe. No one saw this coming. The winner for best song in a motion picture goes to... 3-6 Mafia. For It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. No. The fact that that song got nominated was amazing. Well, not really. It was, it's, a, it was a very good song. It was, it, was the, it was a song made for what was a box office darling in Hustle and Flood. That's true. So, 3-6 Mafia winning It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp when, as a reminder at the time, Martin Scorsese had not won an Oscar. I don't think he has one. No, I think he won one for one of those. Yeah, one of those mid-2010 movies. Okay. But it's really, 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 really funny that it's hard out here for a pimp one. I say, 3-6 Mafia won one before Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. It's, does, this is sort of, that was hip-hop's biggest victory at that point. Saying that we won with this song by this group. 3-6 Mafia. Not, you know, by this time they were very popular, but still, it's not Eminem or 50 Cent. It is... 3-6 3-6 Mafia. Triple six Mafia. Mm-hmm. What a moment. You know what? I think it just got a little easier out here for a pimp. An achievement that uh, Juicy J still dines out on to this deck. Yeah. As I would, too. If I won an Oscar, I'd remind everyone every minute. I won an Associated Press Award, and I won't shut up about it. It's, huh? it's, they call it the Oscars of, uh, of local news broadcasting. Number three, it's an ongoing moment that will mm-hmm. never end. Yep. Because... For almost it's a never-ending story. Actually, for over 20 years, Dr. Yep. Dre has was planning to release his final album called Detox. It became a joke, became referenced by artists. We heard so many times in the early to mid-2000s, it's coming. It's don't ready. Worry. It's ready. And don't worry about that Detox album. It's coming. It's coming. We're going to make Dre do it. To the point where by 2009 and 10, excuse me, I actually 2010, 2011. They released singles. They released Kush. They released I Have a Doctor, or I Need a Doctor. They were ready. Under pressure with Dre and Jay-Z leak, which was gonna be the next single, they were finally actually ready to go. And David, when was Detox released? Chirp. Chirp. Exactly. It never happened because Dre just couldn't put it out. He he's was too scared. He's, he's too much of a perfectionist. Yes. Which is odd because, again, he included Hitman on half of 2001. That's another discussion for another day. You would think a perfectionist would have a little higher standard for the bars, but I... Whatever. So, Detox never released. Dre did release an album called Compton, which was sort of a companion piece to straight out, the Straight Outta Compton movie. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. Which was, a, which was a fun movie, too. Yeah. And the movie was really good. The, the album itself was okay. Yeah, it was fine. I was okay. But every... Every leak track I've ever heard from Detox just makes me go, man, we should have gotten this. This sounds great. Yeah. All like go listen to Topless, which has like a Nas verse and actually an Eminem reference track for Dre that sounds great. West Coast, the home with a body bag, the shoddy, the mag, Los Angeles, where the party at? 
You can catch me anywhere where there's Bacardi at Yeah, Andre is back, so have a cardiac Started back with the black, ready to start a cap Gangsta rap, we practically fucking started that Every day with this game, I'm getting smarter at Sky's the limit, so every time I get on a track I'm sad we never got that album I, I, could, I could do without I Need a Doctor Yeah, I also, I've never liked that that much. It's like, oh, there's some good bars here, but that that beat is really. There's weird. a place for Sky. There's a place and a time for Skyler Gray that's on an, an accompaniment as yeah. an accompaniment vocalist, and Dre is not the guy. Yeah, I, that's uh, the beat was re- that Alex the Kid beat was just really weird, especially during the verses. It had that weird spacey kind of yeah. drum. I never liked that song that much. So Dre, uh, you'll probably never release Detox, but and honestly, I appreciate it. it, it it's kind of at funny this point, it's know. a bit. It, at this point, it is number two. It's not one specific moment. It's all encapsulated. It's a totality. Of in my, I swear in my life there is nothing funnier. And this was especially common as rap was becoming bigger, as we've referenced earlier. There is nothing funnier to me than hearing old washed Congress people <laughs> reading rap lyrics, referencing rap lyrics, talking about literal meaning of rap lyrics. Mm-hmm. Did it with Eminem, Two Live Crew. I mean, most famously, Two Live Crew. Like, thanks, oh, Tipper. Man, it's just. There is, I, I can't do it justice. Consider a song like Slap a Ho, which you mentioned by the group Dub Shack, which touts the virtues of a machine that automatically smacks a wife or girlfriend into line. Let me just take a look at chart one here. This is Hits from the Bomb by the group Cypress Hill. Pick it, pack it, fire it up. Come along, take a hit from the bomb. Rap artist Aminem. Picture perfect, I paint a picture. Bomb the hoochies with precision. Ain't nothing but a gangster party. Who let the dogs out? Who? Who? Rocking the nine millimeter, ready to aim. Bone got a gang. Man, we crept and we came. I would laugh every time I would hear C. Dolores Tucker talk about rappers smacking hoes and talking about bitches in, in just a straight voice, no inflection. Would you like to know my favorite factoid about parental advisory labels? I know what it is, so please tell. Us. Frank Zappa has an experimental jazz album that has no lyrics on it. But has a parental advisory sticker. That was not the one I was thinking of, but I actually did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why does it have a parental advisory logo? Because it's Frank Zappa, and he had made it. He had made it a, a personal mission to uh, protest these things. I mean, Frank Zappa was Frank Zappa had had some political stances that I very much appreciate. Some that I don't, but you know, swings and roundabouts. Uh, but one of the things that he was very ardent in support of was. Uh, freedom of speech mm-hmm. in a meaningful way, not just I had the right to say hateful things. I thought you were going to reference that. I think it was Tipper Gore who wanted it after buying the Prince album and was shocked. Oh, yeah. That's what it is. You and uh, yeah, your parents Rain. always remember. Yeah, Purple Rain always. <laughs> you know what? It led to those moments in Congress history of quoting rap lyrics. It's okay with me. He is a violent misogynist. He advocates raping and murdering his mother in one of his songs. He glories in the same song and the idea that he might murder any woman he comes across. He talks about how he will choke the women he murders slowly so that their screams will last for a long time. Almost made the top of the list, but we didn't have a concrete this has to be number one. I just sort of ordered it. I mean, I have no disagreement on yeah. the, on this. This moment was also the first moment I thought of when I thought of this list. So oh, Absolutely. Like, and we've referenced it on the show before. It is the aforementioned, way early in the show, Old Dirty Bastard, who, in one of the most, I will say again, infamous moments in music history. One of the, like, I, I, I would certainly say it was one of those original, one of those moments that MTV, 
I don't think really fully banked on this being something, and it turned out to be huge. He took a limousine with a camera crew. Some of his kids, like five of his baby moms, I don't know. ODB had a lot of a lot of ha- lot happening. In his ODB did a lot of philandering. And like you said, an MTV camera crew. I think Kurt Loder was among them. Uh, God bless. God bless his soul. And decided to take the limousine to cash a welfare check. While ODB is a member of the Wu Tang Clan, who was about to release their multi-platinum Wu Tang Forever album. Yeah, this was their second album. And he had released his solo debut, Return to the Thirty Six Chambers, which went, if not platinum, at least gold. Yeah, he had money. Yeah, he was. They were. They were. One of the most well-known crew, they were one of the most well-known music groups in the country at the time. We got food stamps, and yo, I'm glad to get the food stamps. Why would you want to get free money? Now this moment gets extra bonus points because it actually led to some legislative changes yep. because people said, okay, the system's being abused, we have to close loopholes, we have to figure it out. For the first time, the welfare queen argument actually was valid. <laughs> And of course, it was old dirty bastard who made it all happen. Dirt McGurk. This moment is so weird, so very much old dirty bastard, we couldn't not include it in this list. Yes. And again, it's a moment that has stood for the 25 years since it happened. Yeah. And there will never be another old dirty bastard. Yeah. I'm going to say it, that's probably for the best. <laughs> I would absolutely agree with you. But for these moments, the couple he's on this list and his overall oeuvre, as David would say, it's okay. It's good for this list. It's pretty funny. It's really funny. It's like, you spend so much time hearing about people abusing the welfare system, but it's so hard to find actual evidence of it. And then... Right on guy, camera. You get a guy doing it on camera. <laughs> it, was, it was as bad as it got. So yeah. thank you, Old Dirty Bastard, for in a way really helping uh, change change life. You know, change the United States laws and regulations. Uh, are you rich? Are you rich? Rich. Not a lot of rappers can say they did that, but Old Dirty Bastard, he can proudly point to himself from the great beyond and say, I did that. Yep. I am part of, I am, I was the change I wanted to see. Well, well, much like this podcast, we are the change that the world wants to see. So we've come to the end of our list. As we've said before, it's definitive. A plus, no notes, no skips. Pretty much a perfect list. And yet, here we are. I'm just proud of the work that we did because we represented the culture very well. Two guys who really are so ingrained with the culture, oh, yeah, totally. uh, dialed into the culture, represent the culture well. Uh, you know, when you think of hip hop, you think of David and myself and Absolutely. the Underpoint podcast. So we were honored to be able to do these moments for you people, you dependents. And you could make the argument at this point in time that hip hop is not actually marketed to the, to, to the community it's originally from, it's marketed to people like So in us. a way we do speak to it. So we thank all of you for listening and you know what? We're gonna leave you with, uh, we'll come back with you with episode 80. I don't know what we're gonna have for episode 80, but we'll have somebody or something. But in the meantime, we want everybody to enjoy what hip hop represents and what hip hop has given us these past 50 years and what will it give us for the rest of our lives as David and I slowly become old man, old men who are bumping naughty by nature in the retirement home well into our 80s? I, it's, it's important to think about, though, that, like, you know, all, all jokes aside, hip-hop is, to me, the U.S.'s greatest soft power export of the last 50 years. It's made it's made a lot of people a lot of money and gave a voice to previous to disenfranchised. It's, I, yeah. It is it has created a it is it is now a style of music that you see represented 
on every continent. Yep. You know. And you know what, David? It gave us WAP. I'm talking WAP, WAP, WAP. That's some wet ass pussy. Macaroni in a pot. That's some wet ass pussy. Huh. Whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house.